Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would, be open your Bibles to Matthew, the 16th chapter. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, we'll continue a lesson that we started a couple of uh, Sunday nights ago. I love Sunday night services. Wonderful singing. It's wonderful to be with the family together again for the second time in the day. And it's wonderful to have the opportunity to worship God. What a blessing God gives us uh, to have a church family like this. And that's what we'll study about tonight is about the church. I uh, bring you back greetings from Morristown. Uh, they definitely appreciated the work that you as a congregation did in the campaign in 2003. And they're doing well. I, I was able to even see some of the ones that were converted. And it's great to see the work continue. Also appreciate Andrew uh, preaching last week and the tremendous job that he does. Love and appreciate Andrew and the opportunity to work with him on a daily basis. Wednesday nights, we appreciate the Pirtles and the way that they have continually made available the meals in the Summer Faith Series. Uh, they are delicious and I understand that many are taking uh, the opportunity to fellowship together and, and to enjoy those meals and we appreciate them and all they're doing there. I want you to be thinking and praying about the rest of the year. It's exciting to think that half the year, so much has been done to God's glory. And let's make sure that we do all we can do the rest of this year. Uh, we've been thinking about a mission trip that's coming up, and it will be soon to the Ukraine. And what a wonderful blessing it is for members of our congregation to have the opportunity to do that. Be praying for that effort, that great good will come about. Be thinking about September 24th. That is a little bit different from the date that's on the, the calendar that was handed out originally. But because of this mission trip, that date has been postponed uh, a couple of weeks. And now the date for homecoming is September the 24th. 115 years that we will celebrate uh, being a congregation at this one location. God has blessed us richly for many, many decades. And let's be wise with the heritage of which we stand and let's see what greater good we can do for the generations to come. What is it that the Lord built? In just a moment, we'll read a text that we laid out last week. And then we'll take from that text and look at various ways that the Lord described the church. Look with me, if you will, as we look to Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 13. We read in verse 13 the setting for Jesus making the statement of prophecy that He would build His church. And in 13 He says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Remember we talked about that this was an area that had a lot of idols, so there would have been temples and altars around. There would have been a temple to worship the Roman emperor. And so what a setting of, of, of false doctrine where he says and reveals the fact, I'm going to build my church. He speaks of the truth and the truth of the church that is to be. And you remember we talked about the fact, why did he ask them, who do people say that I am? He's preparing his leaders here. He didn't have to ask what people were saying about him. He knew that, but he was getting his leaders ready, the ones that would be a part of that early church. And so they say in 14, the answer to his question, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then clarifying with them to make sure they didn't believe this, he says in 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
That was the great confession. The Christ is the anointed one. He's saying you are the one that the Hebrews are waiting for. You're the one that the psalmist has spoken about and the prophets have spoken about and John the Baptist has spoken about. You are the one that's going to bring about the new era and the new day. And then he reveals in 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then notice this verse, 18. And I also say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock, talking about that confession that he just made, that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Last week we worked through those verses and then we capitalized during that period, that time period, on the rock. What is the rock? It's Jesus Christ. And we looked at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. We talked about the fact that we can't build on the sand. We can't build upon other people. We don't serve God through people. We serve God building our life on the rock. And then we closed out in Ephesians by looking at the fact that the Lord is building upon that rock an ageless church. A church that is always reaching out to the next generation. But when we think about not zooming in, although that would be a great study, to zoom in and say, let's let's study about how that church was established. He said, I'm going to build my church. It's future tense. It would be a great study to see how was that church established? How was that church organized? What descriptive terms were given of that church? How did that church worship? That'd be a wonderful study. But this evening in the time we have, I'd like for us instead to kind of zoom back. And let's look at some general ways that God would show us in the Scriptures some pictures, if you will, of His church. Almost as if God were saying, I want to show you that. That's what I want the church to be like. Let's look at four of those in the time that we have. If you want to go to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. If the Lord wants us to see His church, what are some things that He wants us to see about His church? Look in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. By the way, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy is working in Ephesus. And we talked this morning about the words that Paul had to say to the elders of Ephesus because Paul spent a lot of time there. These people were very close to his heart. And so in the third chapter, as we studied this morning, setting elders into place, he gives the qualifications in the third chapter for the elders and for the deacons. But notice what he says in 15, as he longs to come see them, but he doesn't know for sure when he's going to be able to do that. He says in 15, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, what was that church? He says it's the house of God. Out of all the ways God could have described to us the church, He described it here by saying, I want you to see yourself as the household of God. In other words, I want you to see yourself as family. Out of all the ways God could have identified Himself to mankind, one of the most frequent ways that He identified Himself was Father. Now maybe you and I have thought about God being Father so much that we just take that for granted. But don't take it for granted for a moment. Think about it. God, how do you want us to view you? Do, Do you want us to see you as a boss? Do you want us to see you as some foreign God that we can't understand at all and the relationship is distant? No. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, He taught them to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. In Romans 8, He talked about Paul writing there about a father that wants to adopt us into his family. 
when he spoke of the way that he would discipline us. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he spoke that just as a father would discipline his children, that he as a heavenly father would discipline us also. He wants us to see him as family, our father. He wants us to see our brother, Jesus, the elder brother, as family. As a matter of fact, whenever he wrote in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, some of the most beautiful passages about marriage, he wrote about the relationship between Christ and the church and then said to husbands, you ought to love your wives in the same way. Why? Because he sees that strong love that is within the physical families and it's almost as if he's saying that's the only way I know to describe so that you can understand the strong love that I expect you to have for each other. I want you to love each other as family. And when we think about even the system that is so prevalent, even today in many religions where there's a hierarchy, a separation of individuals, where there's clergy and there's laymen, the Lord didn't want that at all. And in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, when there were individuals walking around and they insisted that everybody call them rabbi, and they had their certain, this was the leaders of the religion of that day, and they were wearing their garments so that everyone at a glance could notice that's a religious leader. And they were walking about, and when they sat in the synagogues or at the various feasts, they had special seats so that when they sat in those seats, everyone knew that they were different from the common people. And when they walked around the marketplaces, they insisted that individuals not just call them by their name, but that individuals call them rabbi. And Jesus, looking to his disciples at one of those occasions, says, Call no man rabbi, for Christ is your teacher. For you are all brethren. And you see how that offsets each other? Lord, how do you want us to see each other? He says, I want you to all see yourself as family. You're all one family. You're brethren together. And so it is. When we think about Jesus saying, upon this rock, I will build my church. What is the church? In God's eyes, and the way God seeks for us to understand it, the church is family. We're brothers and sisters. We're to be there for each other and we're to weep with each other when one weeps. And we're to rejoice with each other when one rejoices. We're there to serve each other. We're there to live together on this earth and for eternity. And friends, if I've got some kind of notion in my mind that church is just somewhere I visit on Sundays, I've missed the whole concept. And again, I say to you tonight, as I did a few weeks ago, I'm not taking away from the emphasis of how important it is for us to assemble together. Hebrews 10 and 25 tells us not to forsake the assembly. But I have to understand that we are the church when we leave here. We are family when we leave here. And I have to understand that to understand in the fullness of what the Lord designed for us. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Let's see another picture that the Lord would give us in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Now, in this one verse, He gives us two pictures, but at this point, we're only going to look at one of them, okay? 
This is the passage, by the way, that a couple of Sunday nights ago we looked at. And you remember we talked about that if we build our life on men, we're building on the sand. And we said what we call this today is preacheritis. And this is where he is urging them to stop building their faith on Apollos and on Paul and on Peter and start building the church, building their lives, building their faith on Jesus Christ. And so it's in this context that we read, for example, last week, verse 11, where he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus. Jesus Christ. But notice for this lesson tonight, look at verse 9, and let's see a picture where he shows us the church. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now think about that picture. You are God's field. There are many agricultural teachings in the Scripture, and almost all of them point back to productivity. When we think of Jesus teaching in John that I am the vine and ye are the branches, and the teaching there was that those branches ought to bear fruit. They ought to be productive. When we see Jesus teaching that, that the great reward is going to be all those that are laborers, and you remember some went into the vineyard to work 12 hours, and, and then there's others down here at the end, and they only went in the vineyard to work for one hour. Now they all received the same pay. But what's implied in that teaching there? What's implied is that all of these individuals were to be laborers in the vineyard. We are God's field. Friends, do you see the church, which is the people? It's not the brick, the mortar. It's not just the assembly. We are the church, the family of God. What's the family of God to be? Busy. Busy in the Lord's kingdom. Labors out in the field. We ought to be the busiest people on earth. Doing good. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that we ought to be able to merit our way into heaven. I work so hard, I deserve heaven. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm simply saying if we're part of God's family, we want to be a part of God's work. And we could have many examples in the Scriptures. You remember in Matthew, the 25th chapter, you remember when they stood on that great day of judgment? And they couldn't understand when they did all those things for Jesus. And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And what did they do? They were busy giving water to those that were thirsty, giving food to those that were hungry, giving clothing to those that were naked. They were visiting the sick. They were going to the prisons. You see, these were people that in their day-to-day life, not just when they were assembling... But in their day-to-day life, they were going about and they were doing good works in the name of Jesus. Now, one of the most well-known parables, we sometimes capitalize on the aspect of the racism. In other words, here's a Samaritan that overcame the race issue of the day and he took care of the Jew. But let's go even more basic than that. According to that parable, who should it be that helps the people that are robbed and left half dead? Who is it that ought to scoop up an individual that's hurting and be willing to take and offer care to them? Go to James, the first chapter and verse 27. According to God, who is it that's supposed to take care of orphans? And who is it that's supposed to take care of widows? Those that do that are a part of pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. Those are areas that deal with compassion. And the Lord says... It's my church. It's my field that's involved in that kind of work. 
Now, we've not even touched on the aspect of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who is going to take upon themselves such a challenge as that? The world's not. Only God's field. Only God's field is going to be involved in such a great task. Friends, I hope that you see the need and that you see the blessing that it will be in your life and the blessing you'll be in other people's life if you see church much more than just an assembly. There's work to do. There's plenty of work to do in this place. And I want to urge you, if you haven't filled out an SOS, fill out an SOS and get to work. Get to work in the Lord's field. That's the way the Lord wants us to see His church. It's a place of productivity. Look with me, if you will, to John the 10th chapter. And this is going to piggyback on a point that we made this morning about shepherds. This is where Jesus talks about Himself, though, being the great shepherd. This is the passage where He compares Himself as a shepherd that loves the sheep so much He'd lay down His life for the sheep. And the hireling is the individual that He'd guard the sheep until things got dangerous. And because He's simply a hireling, they're not His sheep. He'll turn and run when things get dangerous. It's in this setting. Let's read verse 15. He says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep. Now this is prophesying of Acts 10 when the Gentiles are going to come into the fold, into the church. And he says in 16, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Lord, how do you want us to see your people? How do you want us to see the church? He says, I want you to see yourselves as sheep. And I want you to see yourself as one sheepfold, not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. I want you to see yourself as one church. As we pointed out this morning, let's mention it quickly to make sure we're all on the same page. Why did he choose sheep? Because sheep cannot defend themselves. Because sheep need someone to help them find food and someone to help them find water. Jesus is showing us something very important here. We cannot make it spiritually alone. We need a Savior. We need the chief shepherd. But it's also interesting that when he pointed out the task of elders, frequently he described what they would do would be that of shepherding. In other words, not only do we need the chief shepherd, we need shepherds living among us that would care for our soul also, just as we studied this morning in 1 Peter 5 and also Acts 20 and 28. But now think about this one. We also need each other. Do you remember in Luke 15, the 99 sheep and one went astray? And one went after that sheep that was astray. Now why didn't that one crack the whip and and drive that sheep and tell that sheep where to go? That sheep was probably too weak to make it back on their own. You see the point, don't you? Who is it that you know that has fallen away from the Lord and they literally don't have the strength or the courage to come back alone? Symbolically, who is it that you could put up on your shoulders just as in that teaching and you could bring them back to the sheepfold? Someone says, well, well, whose responsibility is it to shepherd the sheep that have gone astray? And Galatians 6 and 1 says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such the one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, the point is this. 
When we think of ourselves as sheep in need of being shepherded, we see that we need the Lord as the chief shepherd. We need elders as shepherding over our souls within the congregation. And we need each other to come and to rescue and strengthen us from time to time. You've heard me say it many times, and if the Lord wills, I'll say it a lot more. I was not saved to walk this way alone. Friends, we can't make it alone. That's why the Lord says, I want you to see yourself like sheep. Sheep are totally dependent upon someone else for their existence. Let's look at one more picture that shows us unity and fitting things together on that one foundation. Let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's look now at verse 19 through 22. We're going to see another picture of the family of God being the household of God, but then we're going to get back to that foundation and building on it. And so for this final picture... We want to think about the picture that he paints for us here of a foundation and a building being erected. And the building is a place for the Lord to dwell. That's what the church is. Together we make up a building for the Lord to dwell. Let's begin reading at 19. This is Ephesians 2. He says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We see unity here. All of us are individual members building a building. But we're all standing on the one foundation of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of the prophets. But Jesus Christ, that chief cornerstone. And we're all to be fitted together. Now, I can picture real clearly what I'm about to describe, and I hope you can picture it. Did you ever have the opportunity to either experience or to at least see what a clubhouse looks like when, when like 10 and 11-year-olds build it. You know how you just scavenge around and, and you come up with, with a pallet and you come up with just some boards and, and you come up with a few pieces of tin and, and nothing really fits, but you just make it work. And so when it's done, it's just this little lean-to that's just kind of rocking and, and it's barely standing. And, you know, no one would, would look at it and say, wow, what a masterpiece. But then you imagine, you imagine a beautiful structure built by a master carpenter. And every cut is precise. Every joint is perfect. The resources are just what was required. Now notice this. They were cut and fitted perfectly into place. The Lord doesn't ask you and I to step out of the world just like we are and step into His church carrying the burden and the guilt of sin. I think each one of us, we're part of the building. We're, we're part of the wood. We're, we're part of the, the uh, molding or whatever it might be. 
He's saying, I want to save you. I want you to fit in to the church perfectly. I want to help you cut away the guilt of your sin. I want you to find your purpose of where you belong. I want you to know where you came from and where you can go. I want you to meet your family. I want you to see a work that is going to be good for you to be involved in. I want you to see who you need to depend on. You're going to need God. You're going to need each other. And we decide if we want to submit our will. And when we cut away self-will, we are a perfect fit into God's family to build a place for God to dwell. This evening, when you think of the church, I hope that you don't just think of a building. I hope you don't think of, of only the times that we assemble. But I hope all of us realize that if we're part of the Lord's church, we're part of the Lord's church all the time. We're family all the time. We're workers in the field all the time. We're sheep dependent upon others at all times. And we're a building. One foundation, all of us fitting together to make a place for the Lord to dwell. Friends, if you're not a part of that church, you're missing out on the best life here and especially for an eternity. Because that's the church that's going to be delivered by Jesus to the Father. If you've never been baptized into Christ for their mission of sins, remember the church is the body of Christ. Won't you this evening be baptized into Christ? If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins and turn to God, confess before men that He is the Son of God, won't you be baptized tonight? Maybe you've been baptized in the past and you realize you haven't been the member of the family you ought to be. You haven't been the worker you ought to be. You haven't been a sheep depending upon the Father. You haven't been a part of the building. Friends, the beautiful thing about God is that He forgives and He invites us back. Let's make sure that when we leave here tonight, We leave here a part of God's church. Loving her, active, looking forward to an eternity with God. If we can help you in any way,